Good morning, men. I have the privilege of talking about the letter to the church at Laodicea this morning. My name is Bobby Crotty. I lead the equipping team on the Dallas campus, and I'm excited to get to share this message with you today. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to open your word, to be informed by its truth, to meet uh, in the verses of this little letter to the church at Laodicea, the one who is faithful and true, the faithful and true witness, your son. And so, Lord, may we uh, take his truth, apply it to our own lives, and be uh, more fully devoted to following hard after your son in all that we think, say, and do. So be with us as we examine this message, and may we see your truth and apply it in a way that brings you honor and glory. Amen. Guys, I'll start with a confession. I love to hunt. I love everything about it. I've been going hunting since I was five. Deer, turkey, ducks, geese, quail, dove, and recently, sandhill cranes. I love to hunt. They call those cranes ribeyes in the sky. Yum, they are good to eat. I love everything about it. I love getting ready. I love... Uh, checking the things off my packing list as I prepare. I love the drive. I love the anticipation of the hunt. I love the camaraderie. I love the fellowship. I love the sharing of great memories of past hunts. I love the excitement of not being able to sleep the night before and not needing either of the two alarms I set to get up. I love the sunrise. I love the thrill of seeing a big flight of cranes come floating in like prehistoric B-52s. I love the fun of good shooting. I even love picking up the spread and cleaning those ribeyes in the sky. And I love unpacking and cleaning up um, my guns because it reminds me that, hey, there is going to be another hunt. I love to hunt, and there's nothing lukewarm in me about hunting. And you know, you undoubtedly have a number of things that you're equally passionate about. You might even say that you have a zeal about it. The uh, dictionary defines zeal as active, enthusiastic interest mounting to fervor. Yes, I definitely have a zeal for hunting. And Laodicea as a church was just the opposite, though. It was lukewarm about Jesus, about the things of his kingdom, and their works demonstrated that they were lukewarm. And men, that is a problem. It was a problem for the church at Laodicea, and it's a problem for us today if that's true about us. This is quite a letter to close on. No commendation, the harshest rebuke, and arguably the greatest promise to the one who conquers or overcomes. Laodicea was destroyed by an earthquake in A.D. 60. It was able to rebuild itself without the need of any outside help, and that prompted a feeling of self-sufficiency that blinded Laodicea to its real needs. It was a money center famous for its banking. It was a medical center known for its medical school and for its world-famous ISAV. It was also a manufacturing center known for its glossy black wool and the clothes that were produced from it. 
these things should remind you of another place that you're familiar with. Dallas is a banking center, a money center. It also has world-famous medical facilities, and it's also a manufacturing center. And so it's not an accident that it's also filled with lukewarm churches. Think about it. Materialism and lukewarm as a mindset seem to go together. So let's look at the letter itself. Let's read verses 14 through 22 in chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, dine with him, and he with me. And the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So today I want to focus on three questions. As the slide shows you, how does the depiction of Jesus in verse 14 relate to Laodicea's challenge? Second, what's so bad about lukewarm? And finally, third, what's the remedy to self-deception? So let's dive in. In Revelation 3.14, we see Jesus described. He describes himself. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. This verse is simply a further development of Revelation 1-5, where Jesus is described as the faithful witness and also the firstborn of the dead. He's the Amen. He is the affirmation of truth. Can I get an Amen to that? He is the faithful and true witness. What he says, you can take to the bank. Now, there's a metaphor that the Laodiceans would have understood. He's the beginning of creation. By rising from the dead and starting a new creation of people who trust in him for salvation, he is the beginning of a new creation. These folks find their life in him, just like we found our life in him. And we also find our sufficiency in him and not in ourselves. And so what's the challenge that Laodicea is facing? As we'll see, they think they're hot stuff. But Jesus tells them that they are a bunch of lukewarm lunkheads. And he should know because he is indeed the faithful and true witness. Revelation 3, 15 and 16 gives us a blunt report. Jesus says, I know your words. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. 
will unpack that. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And so, gang, what's so bad about lukewarm? Well, tell me something that you like lukewarm. Friendships? Teammates? Business partners? Foxhole buddies? I don't think you want any of those lukewarm. Single guys, do you want your girlfriends to be lukewarm? Married guys, uh, I can hear you now. As you talk about your wives, you can say, oh, man, I married a great woman. She is really lukewarm. <laughs> no, I don't think you'll be saying that. You like your food lukewarm? Not really. How about your coffee? And now I'm going from preaching to meddling. Is there anything worse than thinking you're going to get a good sip of hot coffee and it's just lukewarm? If I made my point, there's really nothing good about lukewarm. And so why was Laodicea familiar with lukewarm? Well, take a look at this map. It's a map of the Lycus Valley that shows that Laodicea sits near uh, both Hierapolis and Colossae. And Laodicea got hot water from Hierapolis. And it got cold water from Colossae. But by the time that the water made the journey all the way to Laodicea, some six miles, it would end up lukewarm. Nothing good about that. And so here's some thoughts about lukewarm. No one sets out to be lukewarm. Think about it. Did you wake up this morning thinking, oh, here's a great day. I think I'll be lukewarm today. I don't think so. You know, lukewarm is an environment in which corruption can grow. Don't believe me? Just put some uh, Coke out at room temperature and wait a couple of weeks and see what grows in that Coke. But guys, here's the really big point about this. Lukewarm is not useful. Hot water is useful. On a cold day, a good drink of uh, uh, hot coffee is very useful. Cold water on a hot day is useful. But lukewarm is useless. And that's why Jesus is depicted as spewing them out of his mouth. Doesn't that communicate? The lukewarm Laodiceans were useless to the kingdom of God. And men, let's not kid ourselves. If we're lukewarm, we're just as useless to the kingdom. And so how does lukewarm happen? Well, I think it starts with deceiving ourselves about ourselves. Take a look at Revelation 3, 17 and 18. For you say, I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I love a quote from my friend Bob Dyer, who is one of the leaders at Trinity Christian Academy. It comes from his 2014 journey devotional. He wrote, reputation is what people think we are. Reality is what Christ knows we are. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's giving the Laodiceans a healthy dose of reality about themselves. 
The most important words in these two verses are the words, from me. We cannot remedy lukewarm on our own, and we especially cannot remedy self-deception on our own. Verse 18 is what I call the gold, the garments, and the goop verse. These are the things that the Laodiceans desperately need, gold, garments, and goop. So how do the Laodiceans see themselves? How does Jesus see them? And most importantly, what is Jesus' remedy for what he sees? We'll take a look at the next slide. This table shows you the Laodiceans' view of themselves. It shows Jesus' truthful assessment of the Laodiceans, and it also gives you Jesus' remedy. They think we're a money center. We're a manufacturing center. We've got a big medical school. We've rebuilt this city with no outside help after a de devastating earthquake. We're rich, we're prosperous, and we just don't need anything. But Jesus' assessment was blunt. He starts with wretched and pitiable, and it goes downhill from there. Wretched and pitiable, you might even say, are their best traits. They're poor, blind, and naked. And what's the remedy? Well, the remedy is a healthy dose of truth from the one who is the faithful and true witness, the one who is truth. They need that gold, garments, and goop. Gold? Well, Jesus tells them that they need gold refined by fire. That is true riches. Matthew six nineteen to 21 tells us to store up treasures in heaven, true riches. And how do we do that? Well, by being obedient to what Jesus calls us to do. We need garments. Jesus tells them that they need white garments to cover their nakedness. Revelation 19.8 says that we will be clothed in white garments that represent the righteous deeds of the saints. These deeds represent true service. And how do we do that? by simply being obedient to what Jesus calls us to do. Are you seeing a pattern here? And finally, the goop. Jesus tells them that they need salve, this world-famous salve they think uh, they can put their confidence in. But Jesus says, you need the salve that you can get from me to anoint your eyes so that you can truly see. True sight is what they need. In Ephesians 1.18, Paul desires that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened to know the hope to which Jesus has called us and the riches of his glorious inheritance. We need true sight that only Jesus can give us. And how do we do that? By being obedient to do what Jesus calls us to do. True sight. And so, in short, we need true riches, we need true service, and we need true sight all by being obedient to do the things that Jesus calls us to do. And so why is Jesus so blunt with the Laodiceans? Isn't that a little harsh? Well, verse 19 gives us the answer. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. And to the same effect is Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6. My son, do not lightly regard the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves 
Are you experiencing the discipline of the Lord? Well, then that is proof that he loves you. And he chastises every son whom he receives. Simply it's because he loves us. That's why he disciplines us. That's why he is blunt with the Laodiceans. And why does he do that for them? Why does he do it for us today? Because he wants us to be the men that he created us to be. And our challenge is to be zealous and repent in the words of verse 19. Just a quick note on zealous. Think about the New Testament. Who is described as having zeal or being zealous? Well, in John 2.19, Jesus is described as having zeal. And it's written of him that zeal for his father's house will consume him. And, you know, uh, Saul, before he became Paul, was described as being zealous, zealous for the traditions of his fathers, zealous uh, as a persecutor of the church. And when he became the apostle Paul, after meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, he became zealous for the gospel. He writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. He became zealous for the gospel. But you know what the best news about this church is? The best news is that Jesus is not done with this church. Despite the lack of commendation, despite the harshness of the uh, rebuke, he is not done with this church, and he's not done with you regardless of what you may have done in your life. As long as you are still drawing breath, he is not done with you. There's hope for you. And there was hope for this church at Laodicea. And Jesus demonstrates this by closing the letter with two offers. Take a look at Revelation 3.20. Revelation 3.20 is not a salvation verse. It reads, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Dine with him. It's a picture of fellowship. Not a salvation verse, because he's speaking to the church, and the church, by definition, is all those who belong to Jesus. But it is a verse off, making an unbelievable offer of fellowship. The one who is knocking at the door is the master of the house, extending to his servants a chance to dine with him, to enjoy intimate fellowship. The Greeks observe three meals a day like we do, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The Greek word depneo uh, indicates that this was the evening meal. It was the meal after uh, the work day. The work of the day was done, and uh, it, it meant that you could relax and enjoy the meal, enjoy the company, enjoy the fellowship. It was the big meal of the day, and this is an amazingly gracious offer from our Savior, from our Master. And the question we have to ask ourselves today, guys, is have we accepted this invitation for intimate fellowship with our master? And then look at Revelation 3.21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This second offer 
The offer to dine is the first one. The offer to sit with him on his throne is the, undoubtedly the greatest promise to all the conquerors in all seven letters. The chance to sit with Jesus on his throne as he also sat with his father on his father's throne after he conquered. And how did Jesus conquer? Well, he conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered the barrier that separates a perfect God from sinful man. And this infinitely wide gap uh, is something that he bridged by his death on the cross and subsequent resurrection. Today, he sits with the Father on his throne, according to this verse. But one day, he will have his own throne, the throne of David. During the millennial kingdom, he'll fulfill the Davidic covenant by reigning uh, on earth on the throne of David from Jerusalem, just as the angel Gabriel told Mary in Luke 1, 32 and 33. Gabriel told her, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And guys, he wants us to be conquerors, to persevere in a life of faithfulness to the end of our days. But we can only do that with his help. Buy from me, he counsels us in Revelation 3.18. And so what's the application for us today? Well, the next slide shows us the so what. Are there areas in our lives in which we're lukewarm? Just um, giving a nod to doing the will of God, but not really being all in and doing it. The second uh, question is, how are we deluding ourselves about our true spiritual condition? Guys, this is some place where your summit group can help you with a realistic assessment of yourself. And then finally, to whom do you turn for help to conquer these lukewarm areas and to be a conqueror in all areas of your life? What steps do you need to take today and how can your summit group help you? Those are three things for you to process with your summit group, but I want to close with this thought. And that is, guys, there is hope. There was hope for the Laodiceans. There's hope for you and me today. Regardless of what we've done in the past, we don't need to let our past define us. There is hope to uh, um, come back to Jesus and to buy for him true riches, true service, and true sight. The remedy comes from Jesus, and he will help us apply it. We can't do this on our own. He is the answer to lukewarm. He is the answer to self-deception. He stands at the door knocking, inviting you to have true fellowship with your master. You just have to open the door. You just have to open the door. Let's close in a word of prayer. Oh, Father, what a powerful message. What a gracious offer from your son that he stands at the door knocking, uh, warning us, warning we as believers in Christ who already belong to him to have true fellowship with him. He wants us to have true riches. He wants us to engage in uh, uh, works that are true service. And he wants us to have true sight. 
Help us do this in a way that brings you honor and glory, Father. Uh, help these groups have a discussion about uh, where they are in a, from a realistic, honest assessment. And then help us take ground in being more fully devoted followers of your son. Amen.